الحمد لله وكفى والصلاة والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لقد كان لكم في رسول الله أسوة حسنة لمن كان يرجو الله واليوم الآخر وذكر الله كثيرا وقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم كل أمتي يدخلون الجنة إلا من أبا قيل ومن يأبا يا رسول الله قال من أطاعني دخل الجنة ومن عصاني فقد أبا أو كما قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم موسوس فكتب الله الكرام بردز النلز Allah Tabarak wa Ta'ala has favored us with the best. The best beyond comparison. The best in every sense of the word. The most perfect. And where there can be no, nothing better in any way, nothing close to as good as it. That is the beautiful deen of Islam that Allah Tabarak wa Ta'ala has blessed us with. And the way of life that Rasulullah has given us, his most beautiful example, there is nothing that can come, let alone anything match it, nothing can come close to it. And the Quran Sharif describes this in the word, لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنًا That the Nabi of Allah wa Ta'ala, in the Rasul of Allah wa Ta'ala, there is this uswatun hasana the most splendid example and sample that a person can ever have of anything, then this is in the Mubarak life of Rasulullah and what he has presented to the Ummah. Nabi Wasallam presented this entire way of life that governs everything for a person from cradle to grave. And in all this, together with the aspects of ibadat, and before that, in fact, the person's aqaid and beliefs and how he should conduct himself in terms of his ibadat, etc. What Nabi Islam gave us with all this is the identity of a Muslim. He presented the identity of a Muslim and this is what the sahaba Kiram took, this is what they adopted, this is what they lived. And it is with this identity of a Muslim that they not just conquered only lands, but they conquered hearts. There was the battle of Yarmouk that took place between the Sahaba Ikram and the Roman armies at that time. 40,000 Sahaba and 240,000 Romans. It just doesn't add up. That how can 40,000 face an army of 240,000? But one part of it was that they routed that enemy on the battlefield. Thousands of the Romans were killed and the rest of them fled. But that was one victory that they, they enjoyed, which was the victory on the battlefield. But the greater victory of that, Hazrat Mullah Abul Hassan Ali Nadwi Rahmatullah the very great alim of our recent past, a great scholar. So 
So he writes this entire incident and he says that the greater victory was the victory of the identity that they then presented to the people they had overcome. And Islam became the norm. Wherever they went, let alone everything else, they even changed the language of the people. Because they stood by their identity in such a manner and they lived it in such a way that others were just attracted to it, they were drawn to it and in time it changed the identity of others to the extent that it even changed their language. How many countries in Africa, in North Africa, the mother tongue is Arabic. Where did Arabic come to North Africa? It came via the Sahaba Ikram. So they changed even the language of the place, the entire few people, small handful of people comparatively. But they had such an influence because they lived by their identity. They didn't get consumed in the culture that they came to. They didn't get swallowed up in that foreign culture that they were now exposed to. They lived by their identity. They upheld their identity. They didn't get feel that their identity was something that was nausubillah, something inferior, something to be embarrassed about. They felt very happy. Proud is not a good word. Often people say you must be proud to be something. Islam doesn't teach us to be proud about anything. But yes, to be very grateful to Allah Ta'ala and very happy to uphold that identity that Allah Ta'ala has blessed us with, that Nabi Islam gave us. Just to understand this in the incidents from the lives of the Sahaba Ikram, this will give us some idea of what it means to uphold one's identity, to live by the identity of a Muslim. In fact, just to understand the importance of this identity in itself from one little anecdote, once one person was murdered. Now, out of the blue, somebody just, as he walked out of his house early in the morning for Fajr Salah, and he was suddenly pounced upon people who, it was obvious that they were waiting in ambush for him. So it wasn't something that they were trying to hijack him or rob him or something, they came for this purpose. And they murdered him and disappeared. Now, this was a very strange thing. What was the motive behind this? After some time, what emerged was that this was a situation of a mistaken identity. They were actually targeting somebody else. For whatever reason, somebody else was being targeted. There was some mistaken identity. They took the wrong person, thinking him to be the person they were targeting. The identities got mixed up. The identities got mixed up, it resulted in the death of a person. In the death of somebody who was perhaps not targeted. Now this is just one incident to understand that identity can be so crucial. Once when some disaster took place, it was either the tsunami or some other similar situation, some severe earthquake and thousands of people lost their lives. Now in that area, there were people who were Muslims also. There were many, many non-Muslims also. And the majority in some of these areas were non-Muslims. But there were many Muslims as well. But now whole families were wiped out. There was nobody to come and identify the people who had passed away. This is so-and-so, this is my relative or whoever it is. So whoever now was there, they had to do whatever had to be done. People had to be buried. Now how does one distinguish is this person meant to be going to the 
Muslims for burial or somebody is meant to be going to the to wells. So ever there was some apparent sign of Islam on a person, somebody had a beard, I'll give this person this body to the Muslims. Somebody there was apparent sign of some clothing of a Muslim, okay, pass on this body to the Muslims. Nobody knows who he is. But there is some sign of Islam on him. He has some identity of a Muslim. That identity of a Muslim saved many people from a non-Muslim burial. And Allah forbid some, Allah knows best, how many, just got buried in whose hands, but because there was no identity of a Muslim in any way. As a result, that person just got handed over to the Buddhists in some place, to the Christians in some place. The last part of a person's journey on earth before he gets buried is his funeral rites, his janaza salah, before that the ghusl, etc. With such honor and such great respect, a Muslim is now then finally taken to his abode of his grave. But many a person got deprived of this because there was no identity of Islam. Now this highlights how important this identity is. And the Sahaba Kiram loved the identity of a Muslim. Not just in, in a token manner, just as lip service, just on occasions, but in the most trying circumstances, they did not compromise their identity. When the Muslims made Hijrah to Habasha, there's a lengthy incident, but just the crux of it, so they were given refuge. Now the Quraysh got to know about this, that this group of Sahaba, they have gone away to Habasha quietly. So they sent their delegation. Somehow you must bring these people back, so that we can continue persecuting them here in Makkah Mukarramah. So in any case, this Quraysh delegation came, just to cut the long story short, they somehow bribed first the people in the court of the king, and then they get caught to the king to say, look, these people have come to your land, but they are actually renegades. They have run away from us and they are our outcasts. You should hand them back to us so that we can take them back to our land. So the king called for them. Now one of the things that happened in the court of that king, when these people came, the Quraysh came, according to the protocol, they bowed down, made sajda to the king. Now the Muslims are called, Hazrat Jafar and all his companions. So they came, they refused to bow down, they didn't bow down. Now as it is, they are in a foreign land. They are people who are as refugees here. If they, in our context, if their asylum status is revoked, they'll get thrown out. And they'll get handed back into the hands of their enemies. And they'll get taken back to Makkah or Mukarramah to be persecuted. Now all this is in front of them. It's not a matter of just, it's a matter of life and death almost. And a matter of severe persecution. So now when they didn't bow down, immediately this became a big issue and these Quraysh delegation, they started stirring up this, that look at these people, that they don't have any respect for the court of the king also. They don't have any respect for the king, they refuse to bow down. This is a protocol here, everybody does this. These people are so arrogant and proud, so they were asked, why didn't you bow down? They said, La nasjudu illa lillah. We only bow down to Allah Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala sent the Rasul to us and he commanded us that if we should not bow down to any, anybody Allah nasjuda illa lillah we should only bow down to Allah the king was very impressed with this now outwardly all the imaginary fears that if we don't do what is the protocol we don't sacrifice our identity we don't fit in 
And what will happen? We'll get thrown out. And this will happen and that will happen. We can't compromise our identity. Whatever will happen, will happen. We can't compromise our identity. What became the end result? The king finally told him, you stay here as you wish. Nobody is going to harm you. You have full permission from me. It's a lengthy incident, but this became the end result. So this was the result of them maintaining their identity as Muslims, not compromising this in any way. Now this is the aspect that we need to learn. Many a times, these are the imaginary fears that what if I now do this, how will I be treated and what will be the case? Nothing will be the case. We need to focus towards what is the command of Allah wa ta'ala, what Rasulullah has presented us with. The time comes when Nabi is coming for Umrah with the Sahaba Ikram and this is the first time he's coming back to Makkah Mukarramah after having made Hijrah and he is prevented now from entering Makkah Mukarramah. So Nabi Salaam camps at Hudaybiyah and then sends Hazrat Usmani Ghani to come and negotiate with the Quraysh. Now this is a very very delicate situation. Nabi Salaam wants to come to Makkah Mukarramah. The Sahaba are now all with him and they are all so eager to come. And Hazrat Usman is coming to negotiate with the Quraysh. If he negotiates and these negotiations are successful, then so many things will ease out. They'll be able to come perform Umrah and so many other benefits. And it wasn't the kind of travel like in our days, in, one, in five hours' time, a person is from Makkah, Mukarramah to Madinah, Munawwara. It was like a ten-day journey. In any case, as Usman comes, he is hosted by his cousin, and now he's going to negotiate with the leaders of the Quraysh. So his cousin says to him, he looks at him, and he says to him that, what is the issue with you? Because he looks at him, that his lower garment is way above his ankles. And he says to him that this is not the way that our leaders dress themselves in. They have their garments low, well low, below their ankles. This is their way of dressing. You are going to be dressed like this, they'll look down upon you. And if they look down upon you, in other words, they're not going to take you seriously. If they're not going to take you seriously, it will affect the whole negotiations. Everything might just fall apart. So Usman was spontaneous answer. He didn't have to dig deep into his mind to think about it because this was part of him. It was something that was running in his veins. He said, Ha kaza izratu sahibina sallallahu alayhi wa That our Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa this is how he dresses. So I am not going to change my dressing for anybody. I am going to maintain the identity of Islam. The identity of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa And this is how I will be. Anybody who wants to think anything about it, they can carry on thinking what they want to think. But my identity as a Muslim will remain. My identity as an Ummati of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa will remain. I will not be visibly identified with the Quraysh in our time and age, with the West or with whoever who with the Yahud or Nasara, my identity is as a Muslim. From a mile, you'll be able to see a Muslim. So Usman didn't compromise in that. And he remained firm on it. Unfortunately, nowadays, because of a lot of negotiations ongoing, sometimes that negotiation is with the rep. Who is the rep? The rep is a female. If I don't shake a hand, what will be the case? I won't get the discount. Maybe the deal won't go through. Or I'll have to sit shoulder to shoulder with all kinds of people, male, female, whoever it is, wherever it is. I will have to now sometimes sit at a table where there's all kinds of things served. There's some alcohol served, but now I could get the deal done. So now to get the deal done, anything goes. 
Anything can happen. And the identity of a Muslim can be sacrificed, but the deal must get done. The discount must be achieved. So therefore I can shake hands with any female and sit anywhere, sit at any table, no matter what is being served at it, what haram is on that table, or what kind of gathering it is. And a person is ashamed, feels ashamed of upholding the identity of Islam. Hazrat Usman didn't feel ashamed in any way. A person is now traveling, so now he has to perform his salah. But now he's feeling shy to perform his salah perhaps at an airport, maybe at a station, maybe he's in an aeroplane. Now it's time for his salah. He say, what will somebody think about me? How will they view me? They'll view you as a Muslim. They'll view you as an ummati of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa They'll view you as somebody who stands for his values. They'll view us as people of principle. Yes, we won't harm anybody. We won't cause any taklif and inconvenience to anyone. We'll perform our wuzu in a way that leaves the place better than how it was, how we found it. Not in a messed state. Because a Muslim doesn't give taklif to anybody. We'll perform our salah in a place and in a way that doesn't inconvenience anybody. But we won't compromise our salah. We won't compromise our wuzu at an airport because we have to wash our feet. What will somebody say? That person is not ashamed to expose himself to urinate publicly. And we are feeling shy to expose our feet to wash it for wuhu, for taharat. It's because of this enculturation. When a person lives in a place where there are many foreign cultures, now he is among these foreign cultures, and in time due to the constant exposure, Allah forbid a person starts looking at his own identity as his own culture, na'uzubillah is inferior. He starts idolizing the culture of others. And then he starts taking on to it. And slowly that becomes what he prefers. And what is the culture Islam gave him? What is the identity of a Muslim? That becomes something that is in the backseat. As and when, if something he has to on an occasion, whatever it is, then that identity will come out. Otherwise, that can stay in the backseat. But this was not the way of the Sahaba Ikram. Hazrat Ma'aqil ibn Yasar radiallahu ta'ala he's eating in a place where there are many many other people present, some disbelievers, leaders of the disbelievers because of some negotiation that had to take place there again and a morsel of food falls from his hand. It fell, so he immediately picked it up, he cleaned it and he ate it. So somebody sitting next to him nudges him. And he says to him that, can you see all these leaders, how they are staring at you? In other words, in disgust. They're looking at you, what's your problem? There's one morsel of food fell down. You pick that morsel of food up. All this food is in front of you and you're still picking that up. In other words, this is something very mean. Very lowly, na'uzubillah. Hazrat Ma'aqil ibn Yasar again was somebody whose identity as a Muslim and as an ummati of Rasulullah flowed through his veins. He didn't have to now think about it. He said, Inni lam akun li ada'a ma sami'tu min Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam li hadihil a'ajim. I'm not going to leave aside what I've heard from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam because of these disbelievers. Then he explained what I heard from Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. What I heard from Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is that a person eating and a morsel has fallen from his hand, he should pick it up. And he should clean it. If there's something, some dirt has stuck onto it, he should clean it off. And then he should eat it. And he should not discard that for shaitan. But now, when a person is in a situation, now he has to now live with the norm. 
So now, like others leave things for shaitan, if they're drinking something, half of it must leave for shaitan. Or some part of it, some quarter of it must leave for shaitan. To drink everything up, that is looked as a, something that is now a person is very greedy. So what he must do is, he must waste. The name of wastage has been changed. Wastage which is an, a severe ingratitude to Allah Ta'ala for his ni'mas and bounties. That a person is wasting, he's wasting with that one drop of water. He's wasting whatever it might be, the particle of food. That is a severe ingratitude to Allah Ta'ala for his ni'mas and bounties. But now wastage has been given the name of greediness. In order to make a person waste. So he said, I don't, I will not leave what I learned from Nabi Sallallahu for the sake of these disbelievers, for the sake of their disgusting culture, must I leave that most pure way of life, that most beautiful example that Rasulullah gave me, I will not leave that for anybody. So this is the aspect of this identity. That this identity is not something that is just uh, a theory, it is a reality. And it is not something confined to just an external side of it. In fact, the external side of the identity is a reflection of what is inside a person. A person's external side of him reflects what are his values, what he holds dear within his heart, what are his preferences deep down in his heart. Those preferences play out in his day-to-day life, in what he does, how he goes about things, what is his appearance all about, what is his preference of doing things, if he's having his wedding, how he'll have it, what will be the identity in that wedding? Will it be just that inside the masjid it will be a nikah? And then out there afterwards it will be no different to a Yahudi or Nasara wedding? And perhaps at the most there will be something where the identity of Islam will be confined to one corner, the so-called parda corner? Is that his identity? No, what's deep down in his heart that, no, I'm a Muslim. I'm an ummati of Rasulullah And I love the identity of Islam. So my wedding and my funeral... Anything that happens in my home will reflect Islam, will reflect the sunnah of Rasulullah So this identity is deep down in the heart. And this identity in the heart is extremely crucial that a person protects this. Many a times it is, this is where the corruption starts, which starts playing out later on externally as well. Because of many a person is growing up in a Christian ethos school. Good part of his daily life is in that school. A Christian ethos school, what is going in his heart and mind? Then when he grows up feeling ashamed, Nauzubillah, to live Islam, and he's more happy to be living in some other way. So where it came from? It came from that enculturation in that Christian ethos school. In that university environment, a person is not guarding his deen. So many a person studying in that university environment, studying in that high school also, he is asking questions about, but what is wrong with this Darwin's theory? But doesn't this make Nauzubillah sense? It's making sense to him. What is total nonsense? That he's trying to also accept Nauzubillah, or he's trying to prove Nauzubillah, that he also came from an ape. He's trying to feel proud about that, and he's trying to say that he also came from an ape. Whereas Allah Ta'ala has blessed us, mashallah, we've come from Adam wasalam, the first insan on earth, who Allah Ta'ala created with his hukam and with his order. But now in this environment of this atheism, this environment where there is no concept of a deity, now in this environment, this identity is being lost right from the core. 
And then sometimes the person, one person is inviting his son that it's Ramadan now, we're going to be fasting. He says, I don't think I believe in this anymore, Nawazubillah. And whereas outwardly that son also was like a Muslim. But now suddenly Ramadan came and the father or grandfather, somebody said something about Ramadan is coming, we're going to be fasting. And now this person's inside spoke. What was inside was kufr lurking in there. That kufr came from this environment. So this is a very, very dangerous situation when a person loses his identity. It's not just the external side that gets lost. It starts eating up and corroding what is deep down in the heart. This identity starts affecting everything in him. And then Allah forbid, sometimes it goes to the very essence of his iman and erodes his iman away. And there's kufr in place of iman. But just that outwardly nothing seems to have changed. The person sometimes comes to the masjid also. The person might go for hajj and umrah as well. But in his heart the concepts of kufr are lurking. Because he totally gave up his identity as a Muslim and he's adopted something foreign and alien. So the identity is not something that just, by the way, it's a very, very essential aspect in a Muslim life. He lives deen. He lives as an ummati of Rasulullah He lives Islam, that pure way of life that Allah Ta'ala gave us. And he doesn't feel in any way that he has anything inferior. He is very grateful. Allah Ta'ala has blessed him with the most beautiful way of life with everything of the most perfect nature, from every aspect of his life, from his cradle to his grave. So this is what we should be wholeheartedly adopting and keeping with this. This is our identity as Muslims. This is what we have to protect. The way to keep this alive is to bring this deen alive within our homes. Make that home of ours a home where the identity of a Muslim is alive. That home that this salah taking place, this tilawat of the Qur'an Shari taking place, there's ta'aleem taking place in their home. There's a talks of deen. Otherwise, the identity will be con- confined to some frame. It will be confined to some symbols only. This identity of a Muslim must be alive in that home. The sunnah of Rasulullah must be brought alive. In simple day-to-day things. But when it starts off in small things, in small things in the sense of easy things, very simple easy things, inshallah it will grow from there. Simple aspects of eating and drinking, how we sleep, how we talk to each other, what kind of interaction there is, and how we go on with our day-to-day lives, all these things will bring the sunnah alive in this. Inshallah, this will bring the true identity of Muslim alive in our hearts, and we live as Muslims and die as Muslims, and inshallah, be resurrected as the ummatis of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah ta'ala give us a tawfiq.